listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. It's a pleasure to serve this church. I can't imagine being anywhere else. All right. Last week we had a guest speaker, uh, and he reminded us that in the story of the Bible, it tells a raw, raw story. The Bible never puts people on a pedestal. Uh, this makes Scripture both disappointing at times, because you get your hopes up about a leader, only for them to, to, to disappoint you. But it also makes the Scripture and God's Word relatable. See, David in the Bible, where we are right now, was called a man after God's own heart. Yet, he stole someone's wife. He had a baby with her. He put that guy on the front lines to be killed, and then the baby dies. And that was the story we looked at last week. It's brutal pain for David and all the people around him. But here's the thing. The Bible, and you've got to understand this, the Bible never backs down and never presents anybody as having the perfect life outside of Jesus Christ himself. The story of the Bible is, life is hard. We do live in a broken world. And the only person you can really trust to solve your problems are God, is God himself. And now, here we are in this passage. Now, we may be looking at one of the hardest passages that I've had to preach. And you're about to see why. So let's go. Uh, I'm going to read the first uh the first paragraph here, and then we'll go through the other ones as we work through that, depending on how much time that we have. Uh, and so, give me, I'll give you a little backstory here. Um, this is uh, Tamar, um, and she's talking to her brother, Absalom, and he said this to her, has Abnon, your brother, been with you? Now, Hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take it to heart. And so basically he, uh, well, we'll keep going. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Abnon, neither good or nor bad, for Absalom hated Abnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, help us today look at a passage that shows some of the deep ugliness of human nature, but also remind us that all our hearts are deep and dark and corrupt. Our only hope is your Son. Help us to see that through the passage today. Help us to learn from this. Help us to work through any trauma or burden or, or, or sadness that we have in our lives related around these things. Give us healing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give a little per, uh, public service announcement before our uh, talk today at the beginning of this sermon. Uh, it's not going to be pretty. It's a story of how dysfunctional David's family is getting. Not only that, but it may bring up some deep emotions for some people in this room, and here's why. It's a story of incest and rape and sexual abuse. And the idea that families like to hide these things, especially here in the South, 
and make them, just try to make them go away. If you're in this room and you've experienced and you know, and, and you, or you know someone that has in your family or friends, I will say from the beginning, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that happens. See, my family and my ministry are intertwined with stories of people and even children that were violated and forced to do things against their will, and it breaks my heart just thinking about those things. Those are the things that even as a pastor makes me want to lose my religion and pull out a shotgun. And I'm saying, if God, thank you for the gospel, because if not, I would be in prison, probably be in prison right now. But I also want to say this. I don't apologize for bringing it up because the Word of God doesn't apologize for bringing it up. God has something to say in these situations, about these types of situations. God has something to say about that. He sees them. And so let's not be a people that hides from these things, that hides these things, but brings them in the light. Because we're going to look at the passage today, and God's Word, through bringing it to light, is going to bring some healing. We're going to look at four points today. We're going to talk about the wrong that was done. We're going to talk about the response to that wrong. Then we're going to talk about the rebellion that happens as a result. And then we're going to talk about the reckoning. So let's get into our passage for today. Let's look at the wrong that we just read. Ammon, uh, I'm sorry, Amnon violated his sister Tamar. And then she has a brother named Absalom. And it looks like he's being kind. But if you look, he's being so dismissive. Think about it. The first thing he says to Tamar is, it's your brother. Don't take it to heart. And you're thinking, really? And then he takes her into her house, his household, which makes it look like an act of protection. But in those days, it almost permanently makes her a widow for life, being in his household. But he does take it to David. David gets angry as their father, but he gives no consequences to Abner, leaving Tamar feeling used, without power, and of no value because justice was not served. See, this negligence, uh, Matthew Henry says it like this. He says, between Abner and Tamar in this episode, David should have punished Abner for violating her and should have put him to open shame. Both as a father and a king, he had the power to do so, and he doesn't do it. See, this negligence in respect to his own family, David's own family, as we're seeing, is going to—it's characterized much of David's life after his sin with Bathsheba. Remember the turn of events that we saw last week? His moral senses are dulled. This is what bad behavior does to you. He begins to fail in discerning the affairs of his own household, much less the kingdom, and dealing with his children properly. He was, he was enraged, there's no doubt, but he did nothing to discipline and none. It didn't lead to any action to secure justice for her. Now, Adnan and Tamar's brother, Absalom, on the other hand, he refused to let Adnan get away with what he had done. See, every day, that's one sitting there with Tamar in his household, seeing her suffer, knowing that their father, David, did nothing about it. But he's about to take matters in his own hands. So let's see his response. Look at his response uh, in that next paragraph. Two years went by. Two years went by. One day, Absalom threw a sheep-shearing party in Belhazar in the vicinity of Ephraim. 
and invited all the king's sons. And he also went to the king and invited him and said, look, I'm throwing a sheep sharing party. It's what they did at the end of the year to share the sheep. Come and bring your servants. But the king said, no, not this time and not the whole household. We'd just be a burden to you. Absalom pushed and David wouldn't budge. But he did give him his blessing. And so Absalom said, well, if you won't come, at least my brother Amnon can come. Why? The king said, why should he go with you? But Absalom was so insistent that he gave in and let Abnon and all the rest of the king's son go. Verse 28 here, Absalom prepares a banquet fit for a king. He instructed all his servants, look sharp now. When Absalom is well in the salt, space the same drop, feeling no pain, I will give you the order, strike Abnon, kill him, do not be afraid, because I'm the one giving the command. Courage, you can do it. And Absalom's servants did, exact, did to Amnon exactly what their master had ordered. All the king's sons got out as fast as they could and jumped on their mules and rode off. See, two years has been festering. Two years Absalom's been thinking and plotting for a long time how he's going to do this. And now his emotions are leading him to seek revenge and they're starting to get out of control. He's got a plan. And the plan is not just to revenge Tamar anymore, but to take the house of David down. Like a child that did not get their father's attention in the first place, now he's going to make sure and get his David's attention this time. So he crafts his passive, aggressive plan to invite all the king's son to a party. Only in his mind, he's about to make it a killing spree. His main beef is with David, but he's not out to kill David. Look at it. He just wants to make David pay. He wants him to experience pain. He kills Abnon and the rest of the sons escape, which helps us see the next point of the story today. Look at our quote for the day, which is a very interesting quote. <coughs> Beth Moore says this, Absalom's advice to Tamar was to keep it secret and pretend like nothing happened. Unfortunately, he took his own advice. He never said a word to his brother Abnon, neither good nor bad, but his hatred would finally make him lose control. You see, overwhelming feelings are not made to be stifled. They will turn inward, they will take a person prisoner, and they will often force a breakout and some tragic consequences. See, Absalom would lead a revolt, and David is about to almost lose his kingdom, all because justice for Tamar was deferred. See, we got to think about this. When we or others do not deal with injustice quickly in our lives and with others, rightly, all sorts of problems will ensue. We need to, especially as believers, keep short accounts. We can't let these things stay in us and fester. This is true both in, the, in our lives, but also the world that we live in. We live in an age where people talk about justice for blank. The reason why is what we're talking about right now. And in the church, we need to pray for fathers and mothers and leaders that they would do what's right and do it at the right time. Let us all pray that we'll be committed to justice. But for Absalom, it's not just about justice. And we're about to see. Look at uh, number 3.3, uh, the rebellion. I won't go into this, um, uh, all of this, but let me just start by reading 15. As time went on, Absalom took to riding a horse-drawn chariot uh, throughout the countryside is what he's doing. 
And with 50 men in front of him, each morning he would take up a post beside the gate, the city gate, and people would show up in case they wanted to bring the king, something to the king for a decision. Absalom would call him over and say, where are you from? And the answer would be, your servant's from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom would say, look, you've got a strong case, but the king isn't going to listen to you. Then he'd say, why doesn't someone make me judge for this country? In any case, uh, and anybody can bring a case to me, and I would settle it fair and square. When someone would treat him with special honor, he'd shut it off and treat him like an equal, making him feel important. So Absalom did this to everyone that came to do business with the king and stole the hearts of Israel. And then he's going to start thinking in terms of overthrowing David. So think about this. When you're a young boy, you're a child, your daddy's your hero. But in Absalom's mind, he saw all the shortcomings of David. But he ignored them until one day. One day when the emotional bombshell hit. Now he sees his father and the king, the king differently. Not only is his dad not his hero anymore, but he's coming after him with full rebellion now. Seeking to take his dad down. Now time out. At this point, we can choose sides. We can blame one another. I mean, blame each other here. Absalom tried to get his father's attention, but he, did he really do everything he could to get his father's attention? David should have been more attentive, no doubt. But did he realize all that was going on? I would urge you at this point, when we think about this, to get over that part of the story. And we need to figure out whether it's, we're, we're siding with one or the other here. What can we learn from this whole drama and from this whole mess? See, aside from what we've talked about so far, David's neglect, David's neglect serves as a cautionary tale for all of us as spouses and fathers and mothers, as parents. Because we love our children, it can be hard for us to see their faults and even to punish them when necessary. Absalom is an extreme case. Most of our children are never going to try to overthrow our kingdom or kill us, right? But Absalom got as far as he could because of David's negligence and it's called a father not being present when it counts. Neglect is also a form of abuse. So look at Absalom's strategy here. He's hitting David his perceived weaknesses. He goes around the countryside and he says to all the people, do you feel like my king the father acts like he's listening to you at times, but he doesn't really act on it? And then he treats you like your best friend, but he doesn't give any justice around your case? Yeah, I'm his son. He does the same thing to me. But I'm about to take over. And I will take care of you. So you're talking about a punch below the belt. But it's effective. David feels the whole nation is against him and runs for his life at this point. David's on, he's, he's being uh, chased after. The kingdom is in crisis. So what's going to happen here at the end? Well, we're going to look at the reckoning. Look at verse uh, 6 through 8 there, um, toward the bottom of the page there, second to last paragraph. The army took to the field to meet Israel. And this is after already um, he's chasing. Uh, Absalom has an army. He's chasing David. David has an army too. So um, the army took the field in Israel. The turn of the battle was joined in the forest of Ephraim, which is important. I'll tell you in a minute. The army of Israel was beaten so badly there by David's men. It was a terrific slaughter. 20,000 men. 
There was days and confused fighting all over the place. The forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. Absalom ran into David's men, but he was in front of them riding a mule, and when the mule ran under the branches of a huge oak tree, Absalom's head was caught in the oak, and he was left dangling between heaven and earth, the mule riding right out from under him. A solitary soldier saw him and reported to Joab, which is Joab's David's right-hand man. He said, I just saw Absalom hanging from an oak tree. And Joab said, I can't waste my time with you. He grabbed three knives and stabbed Absalom in the heart while he was still alive in the tree. By then, Absalom was surrounded by ten of Joab's armor bearers, and they hacked away at him and killed him. What's David going to do? Look at this verse. The king was stunned. His heart broke. He went up to the room over the gate and he wept and he wept and he cried out, Oh, my son Absalom, my dear, dear son Absalom, why not me rather than you? My death and not yours. Oh, Absalom, my dear, dear son. But in private, Joab rebuked the king. Now you've done it. Knock the wind out of your loyal servants who just saved your life. To say nothing of the lives of your son and your daughter and your wives and concubines. What is this? Loving those who hate you? Hating those that love you? Your actions give a clear message. Officers and soldiers do nothing to you. You know what? That if Absalom were here right now, we'd all be dead. What would make would that make you happy? Get a hold of yourself. Get out of there and put some heart into your soldiers and swear to God that if you don't go out there, they'll desert them. Not a soldier will be left by nightfall, and that will be the worst thing that happens. But, look at verse 14. David captured the hearts of everyone in Judah. They were unanimous and sending from the king and saying, Come back, you and all your servants. So Absalom, as we see, came after his father. He brings the whole nation with him. David has a small group of warriors that are loyal to him, and it's a fierce pursuit by Absalom. He, Absalom's ruthless, and you can go back and read the sections I couldn't get to. Ruthless in pursuing David. And it's a fierce battle. David's forces are outnumbered. They're in the forest of Ephraim. But the military advantage actually went to David's troops because Absalom had to pass through the wilderness where he could be easily ambushed. And on his way, Absalom's head catches in the branches of an oak. Once Absalom was stuck, Joab, David's main military guy, did what David was unwilling to do and the other people were willing to do, and he led the soldiers to put Absalom to death, and it was a brutal death. Consequences. Consequences. So here we are at the end. One of the themes that comes up again and again in the story of David is his ignorance in regarding his children. But somewhat understandably, David mourned the death of Absalom. Perhaps he even mourned his role in it. Maybe that was the hardest part for him. For Absalom's death was an outcome, an outworking of the consequences of David's sins. The extent of his grief shows that the king really didn't understand to the end what was going on in Absalom. He would just remain clueless about his son. This story is a lesson about many things. First of all, the family dynamics that we've talked about all through this. David never asked for forgiveness. He had taken a place of authority over family events. Now, David made plenty of mistakes, but Absalom did not have to follow suit here. He could have called on the mercy of God. Absalom couldn't, and, and forgiven David for failing him, even if his father never admitted that he did something wrong in the way he handled his family. 
God would have had, held David responsible, and he did. And Absalom would have been free at that point. But in some ways, these things are so complicated as we see today. But in others, maybe it's not. Because it keeps going back here again and again in the Bible. It's about choosing forgiveness and freedom over a bondage. We often resist, for, uh, resist forgiveness by saying this. It's just too difficult to forgive. Make no mistake, forgiveness is so hard. But think about this. Forgiveness may be excruciating for a time and for a moment, but anger and bitterness are excruciating for a lifetime. It will destroy you as a person. Have you ever resisted forgiving a person because they never took responsibility and they never asked for forgiveness? If so, you can probably already see in your life you're not better off for it. In many ways, your unwillingness to forgive is hurting you probably more than the person that injured you in the first place. See, often the people who hurt us will never realize the magnitude of their actions. They're never going to feel your pain. Jesus felt that trauma. He was misunderstood his whole life. And then the people who mocked him and crucified him had really had no idea in some ways that they were dealing with the fullness of the person of God. And Jesus said, why well, he being put to death? You remember what he said? Father, forgive them for killing me. They don't know what they're doing. Can we today, this is a question today, and I have to ask myself this, can we today Find the courage to say regarding those who hurt us in the past, present, and will in the future, God, forgive them and help me to forgive them. See, on the cross, Jesus chooses forgiveness over resentment and bitterness. Can we do the same today? No, we can't. Not on our own. With the power of God helping us, we can. Not just because he served as a model, but by choosing death, for our sake, so that we can choose life over death, Jesus gave us the power to do so. Through Jesus, we can choose freedom and forgiveness over bondage and bitterness. God help us with that. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we said in the beginning, not easy words. Not easy topics. Uh, a lot of us... Uh, no people and have been affected by these things ourselves um, and only to be met with people who just say get over it or dismiss our feelings and left us feeling no value but not you God. You have brought your son into the world to give justice where justice is deserved but also forgiveness is our part. Lord help us to um, not let things get us bitter and resent people and just let it consume us as people. Lord, we want freedom. Lord, help us with forgiveness in a way that only you can in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.